Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's great to see so many people here today. And once again, as I kind of mentioned earlier, as you have to excuse, we have some technical difficulties here today. There's another group that's meeting over there, so there's been some kind of interference going on back and forth. And hopefully that mic doesn't keep cutting out like that. But if it does, is it cutting out? Cutting out? We'll see how it goes. Okay. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully we can get through this This. But that's okay, even if it's not, we're in a good mood, all right? There's no, nothing that can take away our joy and take away our spirits, especially little technical difficulties. We talked about last week, for those who weren't here, is we talked about relationship busters. We're doing a two-week series here about building community and how to be effective in our relationships with one another. And the reason we're doing that now is, we, is because we are preparing for, not next week, but the week after that, we're kicking off a fall campaign, and it's going to be a great series I'm going to tell you all about a little bit later on today. But throughout that campaign, one of the big components of it is that we would all join together in life groups in some way, shape, or form. So you're going to be hearing a lot about life groups um, in the coming weeks and, and, and hopefully get you a chance to sign up and get connected. And I'll be talking about what life groups are a little bit about. But the main idea of why we do life groups and why we talk about community a lot here, community is a big deal for us here at STSA. And if you've seen our logo before, all right, everything inside this logo when we designed it has a specific meaning. And if you see there at the bottom, kind of talks, if you see there at the bottom, it kind of talks about the three kind of pillars that we talk about here at STSA, which is extreme love, ancient faith, and real community. Let me just go to this. Is this better? Is this better? This is there's no better. Let's see if this one goes better. That's no better. Is that better? We'll see how it goes. We'll kind of turn them both on, and hopefully one of them will be working at all times. So here we talk about extreme love, ancient faith, and real community. Extreme love, okay, is the basis of everything that we do here because the reason that we're here is because of God's extreme love for us. And because of his extreme love for us, then we accept and we try to go deeper in the ancient faith, the faith that was once delivered up to the saints, as Jude talks about in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. The faith that was given to us, and we try to go in-depth into that as much as we can, all right? But then the context in which we live out God's love for us and our response back with the faith is always in the context of community. And especially if you look at the early church, the early church understood this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, which we kind of struggle with today, which is that now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. One of the things that we talk about a lot, even, and we're not so good at practicing, but we're good at talking about it, is that we should be a family. And we shouldn't just be, and I hope that we never become a church where people just go on Sundays and just go to church, listen to the message, drink their cup of coffee, and then that's it till next Sunday. And there's nothing beyond that. Because God's plan for us was never meant to be lived out in isolation. God's plan for your life was never meant to be lived out in isolation, but always in the context of community. Go back to the early church, the guys who knew Christ the best, book of Acts. In the very beginning in chapter 2, you see it, and you see it as a theme going throughout the entire book. This verse, Acts 2, verse 44 and 45. Don't worry about the words. Understand the mentality and the attitude that the early church had in dealing with isolation and community. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them up among all as anyone had need. 
Don't worry about the words. I'm not saying do you do the words. I'm saying the spirit and the mentality. They were always together. And as we talked about last week, how they used to meet in two locations, temple courts and house to house. Okay. The temple courts is a foreshadowing of what we do right here. This is gathering in the house of God. But then they also met regularly in house to house. And that's what we talk about life groups. And that's what we talk about. We have our temple courts worship. And then we have our house to house life groups and meetings, hopefully outside of this Sunday morning context. They had all things in common. No one said, this is mine, that's yours. Everything was everyone's. What does it sound like when I say to you, everything was everyone's and they distributed it as each one needs? Who does that? Families do that. That's the way it is in my house. My wife doesn't come in and say, this is mine. And, and I say, well, this is mine. I make this much, you make this much. I don't say, you pay for that kid, I'll pay for that kid. Everything is everyone's. And the kid needs a, a, a happy meal, the kid gets a happy meal. And this one needs braces, that one gets braces. And she needs shoes, she gets shoes. And I need a new robe, okay, get a new robe. Like whatever it is, everyone belongs, everything belongs to everyone. That's what the church is supposed to be. Now I'm not saying that we can accomplish that here today. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is we can take a step in that direction. I'm not saying we're going to walk out of here today and live this kind of life because this is setting a high bar. But what I'm saying is we need to take a step in that direction. And that's why one of the core values here, our second core value, which I talked about last week, I'll talk about it again today, is authentic community. Because we believe that God created the church to fulfill our relational needs in addition to our spiritual needs. God created us with spiritual needs and relational needs. And he created this entity, this body, the church, to help fill that relational component. We reject superficiality in relationships with one another just as we reject superficiality in our relationship with God. Jesus linked the two together. He said, love God, love one, I'm sorry, love God and love one another. Love God, love one another. We'll see some verses later today how he said, if you don't love one another, you don't really love God. Because you can't have this without having this. And we don't want this to be superficial, but somehow we've accepted that this can be superficial. And I don't think God accepts that. That's why we talk, that's why we talk about life groups. And that's why we emphasize the point of not just the Sunday morning, but the house-to-house -house gatherings of the believers as well. Practically speaking, am I going to consider Every single, like, let's be practical. Am I really, like, there's probably, what, like 150 people sitting right here, 160, something like that. Realistically, am I going to be, like, very tight-knit with each of the people in this church, 160 people? What if we add more people? Is it realistic that I will be tight-knit with every single person who's sitting right here? Realistically, it's not possible to be with everyone. But that doesn't mean that we can't do it with one or two or three or four. Like, don't let the... I can't do it for all mean that you can't do it for some. And yeah, we may not all be like, we may not all get together today and watch the skins, hopefully beat the lions today. We may not be able to invite everyone to your house for dinner. You may not be able to have close, intimate fellowship with every single person here, but that doesn't mean that you can't have it with a group of seven or eight or nine or ten fellow believers from the same household. And that's the point of what I'm talking about here today. Don't get tripped up with the, if we can't do it for all, then we can't do it for none. Last week, I said something that some people disagreed with and didn't like. Last week, I was talking about how if you feel like 
the church is just supposed to be, I come, I pray, and I leave, and I don't have any relationship with anyone else. And I was saying how somehow we consider these people who do this, like, very spiritual. This became like the spiritual people, the ones who don't socialize. And we said that, like, you know, if you just come and don't want to talk to people, don't care about people, that means that, like, you know, that's like a high level. And I said, no, I disagree. I think it's selfishness, to be honest. I think it's saying I don't want to be inconvenienced by people who are different than me. I want to control my social life, and I don't want, basically, to have to care about someone who is difficult. I don't want to have to be inconvenienced. And I said, that's selfishness. And someone said, no, I disagree. And they told me, you know, this person and this person, and that's what they do, and that's because they're spiritual. And then what I said back is, okay, that may be true, that in certain places that it is the spiritual thing to do, but I think that says more about the family than it says about the individual, if you know what I'm saying. What I'm saying, in a perfect world, it shouldn't be that way. But there are, yes, there are some dysfunctional families that the best thing you can do is get away from that dysfunctional family. But that's not the way it was meant to be. And if we reach that state that all we want to do is come and, and, and pray and worship and leave, then that says that we have become a dysfunctional family. We don't ever want that. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? I'm not saying that everyone here in the body is perfect, and I'm not saying that you've got to care about every single person. But what I am saying is, what I am saying is, is that if you think you can fulfill God's plan for your life in an isolated way, then you are not seeing the fullness of God's plan because God's plan was never isolation. The very first thing that God said when, there was, when we created Adam, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. All right, God created us for community. Now the question that I want to talk about today is how we can reach that level practically. Last week I talked about relationship busters, things that stop us from having that deep level of, of fellowship and community. Today I want to flip it and I want to talk about relationship builders. Last week I talked about the things that if you don't solve these things inside yourself, you will go from one group to another and say, well, this group, uh, they don't care. And this group is selfish. And this group is. And you'll go from one set of friends to another. And you'll have ten different best friends over the course of the next ten years. You go through relationship after relationship after relationship. And all the time, it's always their fault unless you fix these things. That was last week. Today I want to talk about how we be proactive and we build fellowship with one another because the goal isn't that we get together in life groups we talk about a topic then we go like the goal isn't just socializing the goal is building community and building real fellowship i only want to talk about a couple things all right but i want to break it down to make it real practical i think the number one thing that you can do if you want to be a master at relationships and you want to get good at this game called relationships learn how learn how to affirm each other's worth last week i told you that every single person in this room and every single person that you know is insecure i told you that and i said i'm the first one and i shared how in some areas how i'm insecure and many people came to me afterwards and they said no 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 father anthony no you're the best and 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 i'll be honest okay it made me feel good it made me feel good because there isn't a person here who isn't insecure about something Everyone has an area of their life where they feel they're not up to par or they don't feel valuable or they don't feel like they have worth. You be the guy 
who affirms their worth. And I promise you, people will be, people, people will be very eager to hang out with you if you become someone like that. You know, when you affirm people, you know who you become like? Who's the most affirming person who ever walked this earth? Jesus. Jesus was the most affirming person. Not only did Jesus affirm just about every single person that he met, okay? Which group of people, I was thinking about this recently, which category of people are very good, for the most part, obviously there's exceptions, very good at affirmation? Dads. You know why? Because this past week, or this past couple weeks, my son is playing baseball now. And he's at the level where it's like kid pitch. So it's like in the beginning, it's T-ball. They hit off a tee. All right, and then after that, it's like the coach pitch. And the coach just kind of throws a meatball up there. Okay, and then they go to machine pitch, which was last year, which is it's a machine and it's fast, but it's exactly the same every single time. Okay, so they could get it. Now it's kid pitch, which means they get some little seven or eight-year-old out there, okay, who can't see straight. And that little kid winds up, and that ball, it's all over the place. So literally, this is how the game goes. Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four, walk. Next batter. Ball one, ball two, ball three, ball four, walk. And the games are a minimum of two hours. Minimum. Minimum. Meaning, the meaning that they won't start another inning after two hours. But if you finish an inning at one hour and 58 minutes, they're starting another one. Because those coaches, I don't know if they're getting overtime. I don't know what, what, I don't know what, what quota system they're on. But they're starting another inning. You'll be there for at least two and a half hours. And don't forget, you have to get to 45 minutes before. So this is a lifelong commitment to watch these kids' games. And these kids' games, my kid isn't here, so don't no one tell him this. They are torture. They are absolute torture. They are so painful to watch. But what do dads do? What do dads do? That kid throws the ball over the fence. The batter's there, and the kid throws it over there. Way to go, Jimmy. Get him next time, buddy. You got this one. And then you see another kid up at the plate, and the ball, like, grazes him on the elbow. And he flails as if he's going to need an amputation. And you say, way to go, Bobby. Wait up. Move your elbow in front of that ball. Good job, buddy. Get to first base. And we are affirming and affirming and affirming, and the kids are just loving it. They are in heaven. Great game, buddy. That was the best game. That's what God does for us. And if you want to be more God-like and more Christ-like, learn to be good at affirmation and build up people's worth. Look what Jesus did to every single person that he met. He met some thief-stealing guy named Zacchaeus, who was a scoundrel and who stole all the people's money. And he said, I want to hang out with you. And Zacchaeus said, okay, you know, Jesus, I've been stealing for all these years, but I'm going to give some of it back. And Jesus said, you're the best, Zacchaeus. I've never seen no one like as good as you. Jesus met a woman who was caught in adultery one time. Caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. And everyone says, she's bad, she's bad, she's bad, she's bad, she's bad. Jesus said, ah, you know, like, it's okay. They may condemn you, but I think you're okay. Come with me. Always affirmed. He always affirmed. St. <laughs> Peter. St. Peter did bonehead move after bonehead move. Bonehead, bonehead, bonehead. Jesus said, Peter, I believe in you. I want to build my church. I want you're going to be a key component. You're going to be the rock of my church. Affirmation. Practically speaking, I want to break down affirmation because I want to make it very specific. Three components that I see of affirmation. Number one is I see acceptance. 
acceptance means that we accept one another as God created them. Not as they are. Don't say accept them as they are. Say I accept them as God created them. Romans 15 verse 7. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. You know, when you judge the creation, you really judge the creator. You cook me a cake. And I say this cake is bad. I'm not saying the cake is bad. I'm saying you, the baker, are bad. You judge the creation and you don't accept the creation. You judge the creator and you don't accept the creator. Another example from the Bible, the Samaritan woman whom we love here at the well because the well, this gathering that we have, is named after her story. A story of when Jesus met a woman in an ordinary place but that ordinary place was transformed into an extraordinary place because of the presence of Christ and the meeting of Christ and her life was transformed. That's what we pray this gathering is for us. An ordinary place, we come in week after week, we meet the Savior, and we don't leave the same way that we came. That woman came in depressed. A woman came in feeling about that big. I should say that small. She felt worthless. Everyone said, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. And Jesus said, I believe in you. I accept you as you are. And she walked out of there feeling like a million bucks. Did you know that you had the ability to make the person next to you, person at your work, person in your neighborhood, feel that big or feel like a million bucks? You have that power. You have that power. You have that power. <laughs> you have the power with the way you accept them or the way you judge them. The way you embrace them or the way you snub them to make them feel like that or make them feel like a million bucks, which you choose to be. <clears throat> if being accepting is being like Christ, being unaccepting is being like the devil. Because the book of Revelation teaches us, says the devil is the accuser of all mankind. And that means that he is constantly saying, to us and about us, he's no good. She's no good. She made this mistake. She can't be accepted. He's fallen short on this. He's no good. He is constantly, day and night, accusing us. And God wants to take us up to heaven. And the devil says, no, he's not worthy. He's bad. You hear these same thoughts too, don't you? Or is it just me? You hear these same accusations. That's the devil. And the Bible says the devil's the accuser. You know what Jesus is? Book of 1 John chapter 2 says that Jesus is our advocate who is constantly advocating for mankind. You know what that means? Jesus is like our lawyer. Jesus is our defense attorney. And the devil accuses, says, he's bad. Jesus says, no, 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 it's okay. This one's on me. Says, no, 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 it was, it was tough for him. No, 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 he's constantly making excuse after excuse to pick us up and to accept us and to affirm us. Which one are you more like? And before you answer that question, if you're married, ask your spouse. If you're not married, ask your friends. Ask your coworkers. Don't just say, I'm an affirming, accepting person. That's easy to say. Ask them and give them the ability to speak freely. And I bet you, your answer might surprise you sometimes. Acceptance. Can't judge someone and accept them at the same time. Number two, affection. Affection. Now let me preface this one right here by saying that I am not 
the most touchy-feely, lovey-dovey kind of a guy. I could be considered kind of the opposite of that. I've been called cold-hearted and cold-blooded. But with that said, one of the things that I have learned over the past several years is the importance of expressing of expressing affection to one another. And I'm not talk and I'm not talking about husband wife. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. I used to not be a hugger. And I still don't consider myself naturally a hugger. Did you know what changed that? One time there was this young lady who was probably in like probably high school or first year of college or something like that. And she Anytime she'd meet with me, she'd always, like, go for the hug. She'd always go in for the hug. And I'm kind of weirded out by it, so I kind of did like a, you know, like the, like as far away possible hug that you can without actually, my wife's like, yeah, I know that on a daily basis. <laughs> I, I kind of did one of those, okay? But, I mean, I wasn't like mean. I was just, you know, it's just who I am, you know what I'm saying? And then she told me something one time that I'll never forget. She basically told me, um, like she thanked me for always hugging her and she basically told me this is the only hug she gets. Like her dad was absent and her mom was, I guess, more cold-hearted than me. I don't know. <laughs> but she basically told me that the only time she gets hugs is when she comes to church. And I was like the primary hugger. And that made me start to think, you see people around you, you don't know how long that hug has to last for some people. A hug you give them on Sunday might need to last till the next Sunday. Like, you don't know. So I started being much more generous with my hugs. Now, with that said, because I know a lot of the people who are like me are cringing, okay, at the thought of hugging, I understand. But, okay, let me help you out. Because even though I've embraced the idea of hugging, it's still, I'm a... So I'm going to try to break down the different types of hugs and I need a volunteer who would like to be hugged here on stage. Who would like to be hugged? Johnny, come on up here. Give a big hand to Johnny. Okay. Come on up here, Johnny. All right. I'm going to show you some, some, some sample hugs. Okay. That, that, that's level four. Okay. We'll get to level four. Sample level one hug. Okay. For those who are very awkwarded out by it. Okay. Is called the, what I call the handshake hug. Okay, which was made popular by sports athletes all around. So you kind of give someone a handshake and you just kind of do one of these. Okay, look, you keep the buffer like this at all times, right? So there's not too much chest-to-chest -to -chest activity. Okay, and do like that. So that's level one. That's a good place to start. Now you want to get to a, a little bit more hugging level. Then you go for what I call the sideways hug. Okay, and this is especially beneficial for like a boy-girl situation. Not so much encouraged for guys, but we can kind of, you know what I mean? Just kind of, yeah. Key there, head's looking forward at all times, okay? That's the key right there, okay? Very good. Next level, okay, and those who are coming from the Middle Eastern background will appreciate, this one isn't even really a hug. You don't even need to touch the other person. It's the air kiss, okay, which is the, okay, like that. You don't need to make any contact, okay? You just touch the shoulders, all right, and you just kind of kiss the air. We don't appreciate the kissing anything more than that. And then, if you really, really, really want to show affection, then you do what Johnny did at the beginning, okay? And you go arms up. Okay, now, but when you do this one, okay, let me give you some advice on this one. This is what I do. You kind of hold your breath, okay? You count to three, and you say the following in your head. Not a sissy, not a sissy, not a sissy, not a sissy. Okay, right here. 
And you say it three times, all right? Big hand, Mr. Johnny. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, that's it. That's it. You're done. Thank you very much. <laughs> Making it easy for you, okay? Giving it to you easy. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. If we are a family, families show affection to one another. Families should show affection to one another. Did you know that studies say that human beings need a certain amount of touches? We need touches, especially babies. Okay, and those who, are, who are work with kids and pediatricians know this stuff. There's something called failure to thrive syndrome. Y'all heard of this? Okay, and they say that kids, I don't know what the number is, need a certain number of touches. And that's why God made kids cute and cuddly and kind of slimy, okay, to make them like huggable. And everyone wants to kind of with a little kid. Well, you know what I discovered is that doesn't end once you become an adult. UCLA did some research a few years back, and they said to be a healthy, fulfilled, and satisfied adult needs 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day. To be healthy, to be healthy, fulfilled, and satisfied as an adult, you need 8 to 10 meaningful touches a day. And you don't know the person that's in front of you whether they're feeling satisfied and fulfilled. So that's why I advocate hugging. Awkward or we can do it? Who wants to practice? Everyone's going to stand up right now. You're going to turn everybody up on your feet. Turn to the person next to you and give them a big giant hug. There you go. Everybody on your feet. On your feet. There you go. Look at that. Look at that real community. Look at that. Look at that. All right. All right. All right. Very good. Big hand. Give yourselves a hand. All right. That's good. Have a seat. Have a seat. That's great. That was great. That was fantastic. I didn't think you were actually going to do it. That's fantastic. <laughs> Nothing gets you in the mood to hear the word of God better than some awkwardness between one another, right? Now, the looks, by the looks of some of your faces, I can read y'all's minds. Some people are thinking, I'm never coming back ever again to this place. And other people, other people are thinking, I'm going to be more strategic in who I sit next to next week. <laughs> Just in case he does part two of this series. <laughs> Affection is important. Let's go to number three. They're under affirmation. Appreciation. Because who doesn't like to be appreciated? Do you know what the word appreciation literally means? Finance people. What does to appreciate mean? To increase value. Thank you very much. When you appreciate somebody, you increase their value in their eyes and hopefully in the eyes of others around. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. I wasn't bringing this verse up to say appreciate me. God knows that I feel like the most appreciated person in the whole wide world. But I was bringing this verse to show you, to show you, to show you, okay, that we need to do a better job of fulfilling this command by appreciating one another. The people who set up these microphones, for example, we need to appreciate them. The people who make the coffee and set up the refreshments, we should appreciate them. If, if, you, got, if you got kids who are up in the children's program, when was the last time you appreciated those who are volunteering and bending over backwards for the sake of your kids? We need to be better. We need to be better at appreciating one another. Okay? Right now we're really appreciating when those people are not located over there. <laughs> we need to be better at appreciating one another and those who labor for us and those who work with us 
and those who are always helping us out in different ways. Because when you appreciate someone in the body of Christ, when you appreciate the person next to you, their value goes up. So that means that as a body, our overall value has gone up. When you appreciate the person next to you and their value goes up, that means that the overall value has gone up. And you have the ability to raise the value of the body of Christ at zero cost to you. It costs nothing. It costs nothing. It costs absolutely nothing to appreciate somebody and value them. Let's move on to the next point. <laughs> Number two. In addition to affirming one another, we want to pray for one another and specifically praying for each other's growth. <clears throat> How can there be a family that doesn't pray for one another? How can there be a family that doesn't care enough about one another that we pray for the things that, are, that that person is in need of even when they're not even asking for it? There's a verse in the Bible in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. talks about a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras. Epaphras was a hero to the church. Did you know that? He's one of the great saints of the church. You didn't know he did anything, did you? He didn't do anything, but he did one thing. What it says. It says, Epaphras greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Epaphras didn't do much. But without Epaphras, St. Paul says to the Colossians, y'all wouldn't be there. Because Epaphras was always laboring fervently for you in prayers. I like the expression that St. Paul uses here. He says that prayer is a labor. Think about it. Let, let's be honest. What is easier? What is easier? I care about you. What's easier? For me, after church, come to you five minutes and say, hey, how you been? You been good? Okay, good. Have a great day. Or for me to pray for you. What's easier? It sounds like you would think, okay, praying for someone is easy. You try it? Try it and you find it's the hardest thing in the world. It's easy for me to send an email. We missed you on Sunday. That's easy. Hard thing? Pray for that person. And pray fervently for that person. What do I pray for? You pray that they stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. One of the things that I discovered, rediscovered again recently is the power of taking a verse in the Bible and praying it for someone. And we're going to start, what I told you all, we're going to start a campaign in October. We're going to talk about this because we're going to talk about praying. We're talking about how to pray. We're talking about very practical ways to make our prayer life more in tune with what God thinks it should look like. And one of the most powerful ways is you find a verse. You don't just say, uh, God bless uh, Joe. You say, God, let Joe to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And I put some more verses down on your handout with some references that you can go to, some fantastic verses. So, uh, God, bless everyone. Bless this person. Bless this person. Bless. Instead of just praying blessed, then you start to pray serious prayers. That you open the eyes of their heart. That you enlighten their understanding. That you reveal to them, that you reveal, that you reveal to them stuff. <laughs> that you reveal to them. I'm not saying the reveal to them one, okay? Moving right along. People don't need to be in a crisis to need prayer. If you are a parent, you don't wait for your kid to be in a crisis to pray for them. You pray for them constantly. They're happy. Please, God, let their happiness to continue. They're doing okay in school. 
please God, let them to continue doing okay. Like you don't wait for them to marry the wrong person to pray for their marriage. You start, we, my wife, we start praying for our kids' marriage from now. You don't wait for them to get to the new school and to get made fun of before you start praying for them to find friends. You pray from before they get to the school that Lord help them to find friends. See how this works? We need to be that way proactive with the rest of the body of Christ. I started recently trying to practice this. Like I said, it's not easy. Everyone says, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. But what I started doing is praying for the people who don't ask me to pray for them. And I started trying to go systematically through the church, like I go through the church database, all right? And I go through, and first thing I did is like I went through all the different people who are volunteering in the church on the different volunteer teams, and I prayed through each one. God, here's the music team. Here's the names. And I prayed a prayer for that music team. And then I went through the setup team, God. Each one of them's names on them setup team. And I prayed a specific prayer. So that's why if you're not volunteering, you're missing out on some prayers. And then I went through the database, and the church database, and I just started praying for, for names kind of systematically. And again, only the people who had their pictures updated on their profile. Okay, No picture, no prayer. That's kind of the rule around here. <laughs> My point is, is you don't need to wait for a crisis to pray for one another. How practically can we pray for one another in this family? Well, again, now I go back to just because I can't do it for everybody doesn't mean I can't do it for a smaller group. Back to the idea of life groups. This is why my hope is that life groups are not just get together, discuss some stuff and leave, but that life groups become real fellowship, real community, real bonding, real knowing each other's needs and praying for one, one another's needs. Now you say, how am I gonna do that? And we already talked about that last time when I was talking about the importance of vulnerability in any relationship. And I pray that when our life groups get together, we don't just read the questions, answer the questions, and go home, but that we can be vulnerable with one another because vulnerability leads to fellowship and intimacy. And the level of, of fellowship and intimacy will never exceed the level of vulnerability. So if your vulnerability is here and you got it all guarded and you got the mask on and nobody knows you got that, this is the level of intimacy you're going to have in all your relationships in life. You'll never see that relationships will exceed vulnerability. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Why? Why do I need, okay, so when he says walk in the light, means life of openness, no mask, no hiding. Why do I need to walk in the light to have fellowship with one another? Well, let me ask you something. I'm talking about relationships and building relationships. Here I am, I'm a person. You naturally have an opinion of me. Maybe good, maybe bad. Okay, someone started laughing, not really sure why, but you have an opinion of me, okay? And your opinion of me, if I stand up here and say, you know what, like I said last week, I'm insecure about this, and I struggle with this. Versus I come up here and say, you know what, I don't have any struggles, I'm perfect, my life is perfect, stinks for you that your life isn't perfect too. You're gonna like me better, like me more. No one likes someone who they think their life is perfect, who walks around like they got it all together. You tend to like the people who uh, open up and make themselves vulnerable and, and, and show some weakness. You can go to your life group, and you're going to read the question, and you're going to say, this is the right answer, and this is the right answer. Are you never going to open up? You're never going to have real fellowship. But the one who will find fellowship with one another is the one who walks in the light. 
and says, you know what? I struggle with this. And then you know what's going to happen when you say that? Someone's going to say, you know what? Thank you for saying that because I struggle with it too. And someone's going to say, thank you both because I thought you both were perfect. And I lived my whole life thinking that I'm the only one who's like this. And I discovered that I'm not the most messed up one. We'll say, yeah, you're not the most messed up one. We're all messed up in some kind of different way. And all of a sudden, we have bonding because the inmates always have bonding together. Inmates in the asylum. Let's agree that when we talk about community, we reject superficiality. If you are going to sign up for a life group, or you forget about life group, if you're going to be part of this community, you're just going to come in every week with your mask, and no one's going to get to know the real you, like, let's get rid of that. I promise I'm not going to do it, and you say that you won't do it. Let's be real with one another, because it is so refreshing when we are real with one another. And it is so claustrophobic. And, and choking when everyone's got the mask up. We don't want to be like that. Let me give you two tips, okay, on how to do this. Okay, two tips, to, especially if you're going to join a life group. Attention and involvement. Attention and involvement. If you're going to join a life group, or again, it, this applies beyond life groups, but I'm just talking specifically about it. Be committed to being there, and when you're there, be there. I saw something very nice, and I'm going to encourage all those who are hosting life groups, I'm going to stress this with them, all right, that I want to, like, like, let's do this, that there's another church out there where they do life groups, and the rule is that you walk into the group, and you take this, and you set it down on a table in the foyer, and then they sit and they do their group. And then afterward, they all pick up their phones and they go on. But this doesn't happen in, in groups, because this kills groups. This kills groups. And actually someone, I said this to a, a couple of guys yesterday, and they said, actually, yeah, literally, that actually killed our group. Because someone in their group was opening up, and everyone was like this, and that person said, you know what, like, I felt like, what's the point of me sharing if someone is doing like this, checking their text messages the whole time? And then someone told them that literally killed their group of fellowship. So let's make a commitment that when we're there, put this down. And we don't need that. And then we're this. And I'm telling you, some of you, it's like, how could I? No, you could. Believe me. It's very refreshing not to have to worry about that. And attention. Second, involvement, like I said, is be open, okay? Is be open. <laughs> is be open and be sharing and be vulnerable and not just carry the mask. The bottom line is, is that community is not easy. But it is needed. And it is essential to you being who God wants you to be. God did not create us in isolation. God said it is not good for man to be alone. You can survive. I'm not saying you can't live without fellowship. I'm not saying that. You can live. But what I'm saying is you will never live the abundant life that God has in store for you. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Everyone knows John 3.16. You know what I think should be the second verse after John 3.16? It's 1 John 3.16. Y'all know 1 John 3.16? Equally as important in my opinion. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for the brethren. I'm sorry, for he's laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You can't disconnect the two. You can't. You can't say, I accept that God loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son that I should have life and not perish. I can't accept that and say, but I reject loving the brethren. I don't want to have anything to do with the brethren. I want to have a superficial relationship with the brethren. You can't. You can't 
have this without this. The two are connected to one another. And too many of us, I hope not, but it, like, I feel like the world that we live in, too many of us are trying to go at it alone. Because community is hard. And community is difficult. And people will let you down. And people will stab you in the back. And people will, and people will, and people will, and people will. And all that stuff is true. All that stuff is true. People are not perfect. I'll be the first one to tell you, you're going to join a life group. As soon as you walk in, you're going to identify, I don't like this guy. I don't get along with this guy. And then I'm going to say to you, accept that person. And maybe God sent that person to you so you could help them to not be so difficult, so obnoxious, so whatever. Accept them, love them like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. Affirm that person's worth. Little affection wouldn't kill you either. Appreciate anything that they do and pray for that person. And maybe you will see a transformation in that person's life, but also in your life. I'll leave you with this verse. Actually, not a verse, I'm sorry. This ancient proverb, which I'm sure you've heard before. He who runs alone runs fast. He who runs with others runs far. I'm telling you this because I'm telling you there's going to be a point in time. If you haven't reached that point yet, I promise you there's going to come a point in time in your life where you're going to realize you cannot do it alone. I hope that you have built fellowship and relationships and community into your life before that point. You don't wait till it's raining to go buy an umbrella. You buy the umbrella before it's raining. You build the relationships before you need them so that when you need them, that they're there for you. All right, ladies and gentlemen. With that said, let's stand up for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we, we thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you've given to us and the way that you've laid down your life for us. And we ask you, Lord, that you would put inside our minds and inside our hearts a true spirit of love for our brethren. It's not easy because everyone is different and, and because we want to say they're difficult, but probably, Lord, we're the ones who are the difficult ones. But I pray that you would plant like a seed of your love inside all of our hearts, that you'd help us to go out of our comfort zones, to love the brethren and to find this, this real community and, and to be the community for those who, who might desperately need it here today. Bless us as we approach this, this season of life groups, Lord, and I, and I pray that it wouldn't be superficial and it wouldn't be just talking, but that really we'd find that real community that the early church had and that you desire for us. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Can you please have a seat for one minute? I just want to talk to you a little bit about, about the coming series that we're going to start pretty soon. <laughs> I know, we've got the Lions game coming up soon. Don't worry, just two minutes. So just um, some scheduling notes. Is that next week, as I mentioned to you guys before, we will not be having the well next week. We'll be having a visit from His Grace Bishop David. We'll pray the liturgy in the morning. Okay, and that liturgy might uh, run past a little bit, so we will not be having the well next week. But the following week after that, we're going to start a new series, and it's about prayer. And I wanted to show you guys a little promo video about that.
Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, Lord Jesus, and all your wonderful, Lord Jesus, things that you, Lord Jesus, do for us, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, uh, I just want to thank you for Annie and Sarah and Molly. I know that with your strength, we can change the world! We can change the world! Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. And we give you the praise. Yes, Jesus. We cannot wait to see what you're going to yes. do today. And we are excited. Aunt Margaret's really nasty hangnail. And I worship you forever. God, I, uh, I just, uh, um, toilet paper, deodorant, speaking of, I need to get some more. Hey God, uh, thanks for bringing us here today. Thank you for all the stuff that you're going to do in our lives. Uh, the ways you're going to work is absolutely amazing and we are super amped for everything that you hold for us. I just don't know what to say. Hey God, man, you're great. Help me find a mate. Amen. <laughs> salt, garlic salt, sea salt, kosher salt. God, just just let your doves of knowledge flow from under our fingernails of repentance. Firewire 200, Firewire 400, Firewire 800, IDE, Thunder... We are starting in two weeks, and make sure you sign up for a life group today in the back of the room. Have a great week, guys.